Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to see you. And as we uh, continue to worship together, I would uh, ask that you turn to Matthew chapter 3 if you have a Bible. Uh, that's where we'll be this morning. Uh, and let me pray as we get started. Father God in heaven, we do thank you that you are a good and holy God. Uh, Lord, that you have shown your grace to your people throughout all generations and uh, that you have gathered us here this morning to worship you, God, by your spirit and uh, through your word today. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us. God, that you would open our minds to understand your scriptures and open our hearts to receive the good news of the gospel. God, that your spirit would empower us to live lives of faith. Uh, and God, I pray that you would teach us this morning a lot about who you are and um, what you've done for us through your son, Jesus. And God, that you would teach us uh, today through your word how we are to live in light of the good news of Christ. God, that you would shape us in our identity, shape us in our community as your people, and, and Lord, that you would uh, empower and fuel the mission of the gospel through our lives, God, through our lives uh, as individuals, as families, as friends, as a community of faith called Redemption Church. Uh, God, I pray that you would use all things for your glory and our joy, and that the gospel of Christ would advance to the nations. We ask in his holy name. Amen. Amen. Today we are... Um, beginning a, a journey through several chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. We're starting in chapter 3 today, and over the coming months, we're going to go into the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. So uh, what we are going to be looking at, just to, to give you a little setup, is what we're calling the Grace Agenda. What we want to do is see how the mission of Christ in bringing the kingdom of God to earth is not done by forceful subjugation, but rather an act of grace through the incarnate uh, son, Jesus. And this changes everything for us and uh, how we are to live. So as we look at chapter three today, uh, we're gonna see how Jesus uh, proclaimed and displayed an agenda of grace uh, from God the Father and how this fuels the mission for us as Redemption Church to lead people to Jesus, to lead people to Jesus. We often talk about the word discipleship, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be a follower, to take on the identity of a follower. And uh, pastor and author Jeff Vanderstelt defines discipleship this way. He says it's leading others to increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus came to do in his incarnation. Leading others to increasingly submit all of life Time, resources, relationships, work, sexuality, leisure, increasingly submitting all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. So as we talk about the agenda of grace that God has, that Jesus has in bringing the kingdom to earth, that this agenda of, of bringing the kingdom of God to earth, it's a gracious invitation for us to submit all of life to the empowering lordship of Jesus Christ. This is what we are to do as believers, as disciples, is, is not only a one-time submission to Jesus as Lord and Savior, but an ongoing submission of all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. This is what fuels our community. This is why we gather together to worship through singing, through prayer, through reading of scripture, through fellowship, through hanging out. This is the mission of Redemption Church through acts of grace, through proclamation of the gospel, is to uh, proclaim the good news of grace through Jesus Christ so that others will submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. This is an invitation for us from God the Father, through Jesus the Son, 
empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And it's good news. So today, as we begin this journey from Matthew chapter 3, and I I didn't want you to think we just jumped in the middle uh, of the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. If you were part of Redemption or or here a few months ago, you you looked at chapters 1 and 2 back in December through the Advent series and and talked a little bit more about how the Gospel shapes things uh, through the Everyday Gospel series back in January. So if you were here, we're, we're kind of piggybacking onto that and jumping into chapter 3. If you weren't here, I encourage you to podcast it. Uh, We had several other pastors like Ben and Reggie uh, preach uh, those messages, which were great. Uh, But today, as we we approach the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, we're going to start in chapter 3, and I want us to look at uh, one of the key elements of the agenda of grace that Christ uh, has for us in bringing the kingdom of God to earth, and that is the theme of repentance. We talk about it often here, repentance, uh, and I want us to today kind of set aside any misconceptions you may have of repentance. Sometimes it can be seen as, as something like, you know, you've been chastised into repenting and shame on you, you need to repent. Just set all that aside. And let's see what repentance is as uh, proclaimed and displayed through God's word and, and proclaimed and displayed through Jesus and modeled for us and see how it fits into the grander Uh, story of redemption, the grander picture of uh, the story of grace that Jesus has for us. So uh, chapter 3, I want us to look first at the call of repentance and the coming kingdom of God. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 say this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you know the story of John the Baptist, he was a a relative of Jesus, and and we see that that John was kind of a a cool guy, kind of a hippie, lived in the woods, ate honey, ate bugs, wore like raggedy cool clothes, probably maybe had dreads, I don't know. Cool guy, right? He's proclaiming, he's he's preaching, he's proclaiming uh, the gospel of God, and, and he says this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There was an anticipation of God's kingdom coming to earth, of God's kingdom coming together for God's glory and for the good of his people. There was an anticipation of the kingdom of grace. This is why John proclaims, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 3, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Throughout Old Testament history, God's people have been anticipating the arrival of God's kingdom. We see this even through the uh, Exodus, the second book of the Bible. You see God's people are set free from bondage, and they are uh, traveling to a new land that God had promised them in anticipation that God's kingdom was going to be set up in this promised land. We see through the prophets time and time again and and through the history of God's people, there was times of exile and subjugation. There were times where God's people uh, were overtaken and and, and, uh, exiled to different lands. There were times where God's people were in subjugation. And and here the prophet Isaiah is quoted by John the Baptist. Hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah had said, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. 
Through the prophets, God's people were anticipating, even in exile, that God's kingdom was coming to earth. Here in the first century, uh, there was a time of Roman occupation. There was a time of oppression over God's people, and they were anticipating God to intervene. They were anticipating God to come and overthrow the Roman government and set up his kingdom. In the first century, there was great religious corruption that was hindering relationship with God and relationship between God's people. And and people were crying out to the Lord, God, when is your kingdom going to come and make all things right? And so here in Matthew 3, we see John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness and quoting the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You see, the kingdom of God is the great anticipation that God's people have always had. The kingdom of God in our hearts is what we are hoping, that God would come and make all things right. Think about the brokenness that you experience in your life personally. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's shame for something that's happened to you. Maybe it's shame for something you've done. Think about the brokenness we just witnessed looking around our world when you look at extreme poverty and corruption when you look at wickedness, when you look at evil, when you look at um, environmental disasters, deep down we're crying out, God, make things right. There's an anticipation that God, if he is good and holy and all-powerful, that he's going to show up and do something, right? That's the, the cry of our hearts. One commentator says this, the kingdom sums up God's plan to create a new human life by making possible a new kind of community among people and families and groups. It combines the possibility of a personal relationship to Jesus with man's responsibility to manage wisely the whole of nature. The expectation that real change is possible here and now, a realistic assessment of the strength of opposition to God's intentions, the creation of new human relationships, and the eventual liberation by God of the whole nature from corruption. I guess that sums up what the kingdom of God is. So, so what does this mean for us? What does it mean to anticipate the kingdom of God? This is what God's people were doing in the first century. And when John the Baptist is, is preaching in the wilderness and calling for repentance, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. <laughs> Traditionally, they, they didn't want to speak the name of God, so they would often say the kingdom of heaven to mean the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent. Anticipation of the kingdom of God prompts repentance. The kingdom of God, anticipating the kingdom of God prompts repentance. And the first thing I want us to see about the agenda of grace that Christ has for us is the call of repentance because of the coming kingdom. Now I want to say this. The call of repentance is is the call to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not... I saw a shirt once, it's very funny, disrespectful, but it says, Jesus is coming, look busy. And often we think, well, I need to repent because Jesus is coming, I want to be on my best behavior, or Jesus is coming, so I'm, I'm afraid that I'll get caught with my hand in the cookie jar, so let me repent. I want you to know, repentance is not an act of fear, it is not an act of shame, but rather it's a response to grace. It's not not a reaction to fear or a reaction to shame. It's not a reaction to pride, like, well, watch how good I am at repenting. (laughs) 
but rather it's a response to grace. The kingdom of God is coming. What good news that is. Let's repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Let's repent. Repentance is the call of grace in light of the coming king. So repentance means this. To be clear, I want us to know that repentance in the Greek word means to change your mind. It's a change of motivation. It's a change of orientation. But biblically, in the Old Testament, it means not only a change of mind, but a change of behavior that comes from that. It means to have your full heart, your full mind, your full motivation, your whole life orientation changed so that your actions then therefore follow suit for the rest of your life. This is why biblical literacy is so important for us because when you look at the story of the Exodus, that is a, a big story of what repentance should be like. It's like God's people were in bondage and Exodus and God comes down and says, I'm going to set you free and now I'm going to lead you this way. You are no longer defined by this. You are defined by this and follow me. And if you know the story of Exodus, it took them 40 years in the wilderness and there was rebellion and there was doubt and there was fear and there was fighting, but that was all acts of God chiseling out the sin and pride and fear to shape them to be ongoing, repenting people who were, who were checking their motivations and their orientation and their identity toward God. So that's what repentance is. It means to turn from something to turn to someone. It means to turn from sin, from fear, from doubt, from pride, and to turn to the King of grace, Jesus So the call of repentance is a gracious invitation, not a reaction by fear or a reaction by pride or a reaction by shame, but rather it is a response to grace. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Let us repent. Let us turn from sin, death, shame, fear, doubt, pride, and turn to the king of grace. That's good news. But follow with me, because it's not just about the coming kingdom, it's about the coming king. So first we see that repentance, the call of repentance is in light of the coming kingdom, but also, secondly, the means of our repentance is the king of grace himself. This is what's so awesome. It's not like, hey, the kingdom of God's coming, get yourself straight. It's, hey, the kingdom of God is coming, repent. And here is the good news, is that the way we repent, how we repent, is because the king himself is with us. This is so, I love the gospel. This is, this is what's so exciting about the gospel, right? It's like, hey, not only, it's not get yourself straight because the kingdom's coming. It's like, hey, look, the king is coming. His presence with us is the means by which we are to repent. I'm going to skip a couple verses, and we're going to come back to them. We're going to read out of order because we're going to be like a Christopher Nolan movie or something, just kind of hop around a little bit. But some, we're going to tie it up here. Listen to what John said, and you should read all of the Bible anyway on your own in order today okay verse 11 john says this i baptize you with water for repentance but he who is coming after me is mightier than i whose sandals i am not worthy to carry he will baptize you with the holy spirit and with fire his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus, that's awesome. (laughs) 
John just lays out this like epic saga, like, you will come. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. And Jesus answered, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Get chills, y'all. This is what's so amazing about the gospel is there's the call to repent because the kingdom of God is coming. It's the call to turn from sin and death and Satan and pride and fear and to turn to grace. But here is how. It's not just that the kingdom is coming, it's that the king is with us. You see, Jesus is the means by which we repent. Jesus, God's voice, God the Father himself says in verse 17, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You see, Jesus has the divine identity of being the Son of God. You see, this was a, sonship was a great theme, biblically speaking. You see, if you read the Old Testament time and time again, uh, Israel, the people of God, were, were, were referred to as, as God's children, God's people. In fact, collectively, they were often called the, the Son of God. Israel is my son, right? And, and God would say this and treat his children, the, the nation of Israel, as his, as his son. But you see, they were an imperfect son a son who could not be righteous and holy, a son who would fail, a son who would sin, a son who would doubt and have fear and, and repeatedly need to repent before the Lord. And, and they did so through sacrifices and, and, and all kind of Old Testament ritual that God had put in place for them to, to worship. But see, Jesus sets foot on the scene, and he is the perfect son of God. He is the son that Israel should have been but, but couldn't. He is the perfect person that we should be but can't. He is divinely of the identity as being the Son of God, the beloved Son. This was his divine identity. He is the King of grace. He is the King of God's kingdom. Verses 13 through 15 say this, is that, that Jesus fulfills all righteousness. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, and yet you come to me. But Jesus answered him and said, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It's a powerful statement. You see, Jesus was completing everything that forms part of a relationship with God. That, that's what he was doing there. Because if, if you look at this, we often say, well, you know, John is baptizing people for repentance, and we're going to see in a minute how they were confessing sins in order to be baptized. We're thinking, well, why would Jesus be baptized if he was a sinless person? He doesn't need to be, uh, he doesn't need to repent of sin. He doesn't need to confess sin because he's a perfect man, right? Jesus did so on our behalf. Jesus being the perfect son that we should be but can't says, I'm going to fulfill all righteousness. I'm going to complete everything, everything, that forms part of a re obedient relationship to God. That, that's why he did it. 
on our behalf. He says, I am identifying as I'm a beloved son of God. I'm divine, and I'm also stepping into human history as a person, as a human, to complete everything that needs to be done for man to have a relationship with God. And so he was baptized by John. In so doing, Jesus identifies and uh, endorses the ministry of John as divinely the message that everyone needs to hear, that we need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, Jesus is righteous, and Jesus declares us to be righteous before the Father. This is what's known as, as justification. We'll talk a lot more about this in the coming months. That Jesus' work is ushering in his kingdom to make things right. Did you know that Jesus is your righteousness? You, you cannot be right before God the Father. You cannot do enough right things to be ultimately right before God the Father. You cannot be right fully with one another without Jesus' gracious intervention. That's good news for us because how often do we try to do right by each other and fail? How often do we try to get right before God the Father? How often do we try to do spiritual religious things so that we can feel justified spiritually? But here we see that Jesus, the beloved Son of God, the gracious King of the kingdom of grace, did what was necessary. Thus, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus, therefore, identifies with the people and gets baptized. And the good news for us is we're not made right by what we do. We are made right by what he has done. We are declared right by who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So how does that come into play for you and I today? First, we see that the call of repentance is the coming kingdom of God, but secondly, the means of repentance for us is the presence of the king of grace. If you want to be right, if you want to turn from sin, death, and shame, and fear, and pride, and turn to God the Father, it's through Jesus the Son. Only way. Because he is the beloved son of God. He has completed all what is righteously needed and he identifies with us through baptism. Here's the final thing I want us to see. Is that thirdly, we see what a life of repentance is. A life of repentance is ongoing fruit by the Holy Spirit. This is where we back up a little bit. You see that a life of repentance is ongoing fruit by the Holy Spirit of God. This is an ongoing response to the gracious invitation, to the call of repentance through the king of repentance it's an ongoing life of repentance responding to the gracious invitation you see that God's people did that even here like so what happens is John comes out says repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand verse 5 then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, through the Gospels, you see lots of tension between the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, with the kingdom of Christ and the Gospel. And we'll see more of that uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. But what I want us to focus in on here right now is an ongoing life of repentance. We see that 
the people of God were coming out, it says Jer- Jerusalem, all of Judea, the region of the Jordan were coming out to be baptized, confessing their sins, and then John says, bearing fruit and keeping of repentance. We're going to look at those three things as a life of repentance. You see, a life of repentance is responding to the gracious invitation of the coming kingdom of God. It's doing so through the king of grace, Jesus the Son. And in fact, if you look in the New Testament, anytime the gospel is preached by the apostles, anytime, the one application that is made every time is to repent. Every time. If you look in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 8, chapter 17, chapter 26, those are just examples. Each time the gospel is proclaimed, there's the call to repent, the call to respond in repentance. Repentance, like I said before, is a change of motivation, and that comes a couple different ways. For a life of repentance, first is this. Repentance is a change of motivation that involves confessing. That's what we see in verse 6. It says, they were all baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Confessing means just to admit, just to say, look, I have sin, I have pride, I have fear, I have doubts, I have shame, I have rebellion, I'm angry. You know, God knows your heart. And we need to go there with each other in community. To be a community of grace means risking to be able to go there with each other. It does no good for us to say, well, I don't want anybody to know that I doubt, so I'm not going to confess. Well, right there, you're missing the opportunity to live a life of repentance, to live a life responding to the agenda of grace through Jesus the Son. And I want to encourage you to have tight enough relationships and to have gracious enough relationships to be able to confess sin to each other. Now, who wants to go first? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to hand a mic and say, all right, let's all go around and talk about the dirty things in our brains. No, but I think we do need to grow in grace and relationship to have key believers in your heart. Men, have men in your lives that speak gospel truths to you and allow you to speak honestly to them, to confess sin, to confess pride, to confess fear, and to say, I need God to change my motivations because my motivation right now is very selfish. It could be a self, even, this is, what, this is what's amazing in the overchurch South. We can have sinful, selfish motivations that look really good. Like, I am starting a homeless ministry, everyone. Well, that's a very good thing. There are hundreds and hundreds of uh, men, women, and children who are homeless in this city. Th- they need the gospel. They need to be served. I think we should totally do that. But, If your motivation is pride, well, that's sin, and you need to confess that. I'll be honest with you, and those of you who have known me long enough that know in the the over a decade existence of this church, I've had to repent of pride for planting, being part of the church planting team of this church. I almost said it just now. I planted a church. Really? Jeremy, whoa. Back up, brother. I found myself having to confess and repent of pride from the great ministry things that have happened through Redemption Church that in all honesty have nothing to do with me but have everything to do with the work of the Holy Spirit and God's ridiculous sense of humor using a foul-mouthed musician to, to have some role in it. So check your motivations. It could be pride. It could be fear, like, oh, goodness, I don't want to get caught sinning, so... Could be pride, could be fear, could be shame, like, oh, goodness, I'm so ashamed of what's on the internet, so ashamed of that YouTube video. Repent of those things, have a change of motivation. That comes from confessing, 
Secondly, repentance is a change of identity. We see that baptism here is what happens. Now, we're not going to get into the sprinkle dunk debate. We're not going to get into the little kids professing believers debate. I'll just say in this context, John was dunking professing believers (laughs) in this context. But I'm sure he did so as a Calvinist. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go there. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Repentance is a change of motivation that comes from confessing, but repentance is also a change of identity. Here we see that it is a, a mark of identification. All right, It is a mark, yes, of God's covenant faithfulness to his people, and yes, a mark of God's covenant faithfulness through his people that comes from professing belief in someone. We see here that God, uh, God's people were being baptized by John as a mark of Uh, identity. And Jesus was baptized here as a mark of identity, identifying not only as the beloved son of God, but as one of God's people. Hey, and I'm really sorry, just as a side note, if that, I I was trying to be funny, theological jokes sometimes aren't funny, so come talk to me if it bothers you. I really am sorry. Repentance is a change of identity. So I want us to see that a life of repentance is not only a change, a one-time profession, but an ongoing reminder of the identity not only of who we are in Christ but whose we are we belong to God the father as a son or daughter in the kingdom so it's an ongoing reminder repentance is a change of identity and lastly this these are sub points of point three (laughs) repentance is ongoing fruit by the spirit in our lives the reformer Martin Luther himself affirmed that all of the Christian's life is one of repentance and if you are a believer the Holy Spirit dwells within you and guarantees ongoing sanctification that you would ongoingly be growing in holiness and that comes by ongoing repentance i've repented like 15 times since i've been on this stage right now pretty much everything that's not the bible that comes out of my mouth i'm repenting of even that statement in fact the great pastor and guy i would like to call my friend ray ortland says that we even need to repent of our repentance because even our repentance needs to be washed clean by the blood of Christ. So to sum up, I'll say this. We see that the agenda of grace is God's coming kingdom through Jesus the Son, who is the coming king. The call of repentance is the coming kingdom of God. The means of our repentance is the king of grace, Jesus himself. And a life of repentance is ongoing fruit by the Holy Spirit that's marked by confessing sin baptism which is a mark of identity and ongoing fruit that comes in keeping with repentance so i want to invite you to do a couple things today this is a gracious invitation from the gospel of christ himself by the holy spirit a gracious invitation to you to respond in a couple different ways if you are here today and you are not a believer but you want to make a one-time first-time profession of faith and say i want to follow jesus I want you to talk to somebody. In a few minutes, we're going to have a response time. There'll be a couple of guys in the back with orange tags that say, can I pray for you? And they can and will, and you can talk with them. There are a couple elders back there who would be glad to talk with you about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. If you want to make that first time a profession of faith, we would love to talk with you about that and to be baptized. If you are a professing believer and have never had a the, the joy of being baptized, we would love to celebrate that with you and would love to talk with you about that. It's a lot of fun because we have this uh, tank of warm water and it's just something, uh, it's a beautiful reminder of our identity in Christ to celebrate together. Um, I would also invite you to respond and in, in, um, confessing sin to a brother and sister in Christ. If you 
I have a, a family member or friend or someone you are close with, uh, I would love for you guys just to talk about, about navigating uh, repenting of sin and confessing sin to one another. Um, if you need to step out to do that, that'd be great. Or if you need to stay here, just love for you to confess sin and just say, I need, I need Christ to remind me of, of who I am uh, um, because of what he's done. Um, if you are a believer, I want to invite you to participate in ongoing repentance. And this is what John uh, says here as he is uh, warning the Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so, um, friends, it's easy for us to find ourselves uh, stagnant in our faith and stagnant in our uh, theology even. It's, uh, it's really easy to say, I've professed faith, I've gotten baptized, and, I, and I'm done. Uh, but we see that the Holy Spirit of God um, ongoingly uh, brings us to um, sanctification. He's making us more and more holy to be more and more like Christ. And this is an ongoing act of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. And there should be fruit of that. Because repentance is not only a change of mind and heart and motivation, it's a change of action. Uh, and it's action that's changed not in our own strength, but reliant on the Holy Spirit of God. So I, I want to invite you to join me in repenting of our pride, of our selfishness, of our um, doubts and fears, of our shame. Uh, because all of us have it because we're humans. And let us repent of that, turn from that, and to lean into Christ. And by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, uh, live on to do good things that are motivated by the grace of the gospel, not motivated in pride. Do good things that are motivated by the grace of the gospel. Um, and so uh, as we enter a response time, um, the worship team will come back and lead us in music. You can respond by singing along or listening. You can respond by confessing sin to one another. You can respond by meeting with one of the prayer team members in the back. Um, we also respond by giving and communion during this time. If you're part of the ministry of redemption, we have a giving basket in the back. You can uh, drop your tithes and offerings there. Uh, and if you want to participate in um, communion, uh, we will have communion servers up here that will serve the bread and wine and the juice. Uh, we would ask you to come down this middle aisle and um, filter through that way and grab the bread that represents the broken body of Christ and the wine or, and dip it in the wine or juice. It's the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. When we do this, it's an act of um, faith, it's an act of worship, it's an act of uh, responding to who Christ is and what he has done for us, and it's a way for us to remember that, and it's also a way for us to proclaim to one another who we are in that community. So let me pray together. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to your people uh, throughout all generations. Lord, I pray now as we have a time of response that you continue to stir up our hearts and minds. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, bring us to a place of ongoing repentance. God, for those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you stir up their hearts and minds to believe for the first time and to, um, to uh, be on that journey of discipleship, to submit all things to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And God, for those of us who are believers, God, I pray that you continue to stir us up to live lives of repentance, repenting of sin, pride, doubt, fear, shame, ongoingly turning to you. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be bringing such fruit in our hearts, minds, and lives God, such fruit in our actions that are driven with the motivation of the grace of Christ. And Lord, I pray that that would be an amazing thing that we get to witness together in this community of faith called redemption and gather to have such an impact on this city for your glory and that it would bring us great joy to see in God that the advancement of Christ would happen from this church out to the nation. So Lord, I pray that you use this time. In Christ's name, amen.